Good morning. I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. And for those of you who are joining us from home, um, I welcome you as well. Who is Jesus? I'm so excited to kick off this five-week series this morning, five weeks where our teachers will only begin to touch the surface of this kind of ultimate question in life. Who is Jesus? Well, thank goodness that some of the people who knew Jesus best wrote things down. And thank goodness for the Gospel of John. That is uh, the text that our teachers will be using to dig into this question, who is Jesus? We invite you over the next five, re- five weeks to maybe dig in yourself, spend some time reading the Gospel of John, answering this question for yourself. The, the author of the Gospel of John was most likely John, uh, creatively named. Uh, he was a student of Jesus. He was a follower, a disciple, one of the main disciples of Jesus who described himself humbly and almost kind of cutely, I think, as the disciple that Jesus loved. And John's first chapter, which we're going to look at this morning together, uses amazing poetry, spirit-inspired poetry, to try to put into words the answer to this question, who is Jesus? And so I'm just going to dig right in. We're just going to dig right into the text this morning. And just FYI, I'm using this morning, we, don't, we often use the NIV, the New Inter- International Version translation of the scriptures. I'm using the New Living Translation this morning because I really enjoy reading this translation, which is just as good a reason as any to use a Bible translation, okay? So this is how John starts. In the beginning. In the beginning. Now when we read a story, you and I, that starts with once upon a time, we know we're reading a fairy tale, right? And so when John writes, in the beginning, all of his readers knew that what he was about to do was riff on the book of Genesis. The very first book of the Bible. We know now that we are reading in the Gospel of John some kind of creation story. John wants his readers to know that his father, God, is up to something new. In the beginning, John writes, the word already existed. Now, some translations say, maybe yours does, maybe the one you're most familiar with says, in the beginning was the word. Same idea. At the very start of everything, something or someone called the word was already in existence. Now, billions of trees have lost their lives, their tree-like lives, to create books in which scholars try to explain what the word word means. My husband, Chuck, I consulted instead of tree-slaughtered books. 
I consulted my husband, Chuck, who went to seminary. Some of you don't know this. He took several Greek language classes. And when I asked him what the word word means a few months ago, all he did was repeat the Greek word for word, which is logos, over and over and over and over again to me. Logos, 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 until I had to ask him to please stop. Just please stop, Chuck. So there's a peek into the last months of my COVID life. <laughs> Anywho, John, John is going to help us understand more about the word, word, this, this entity that was already in existence at the beginning of time. Here's the next clue. The word was with God. The word was with God. Now, the Greek word here for with that John chose to use implies a deeply intimate, close, personal relationship. Okay? So, at the beginning, this mysterious word was deeply connected with God. John goes on. And the word was God. The word was with God, and the word was God. The word was in existence at the beginning in a very tight relationship with God. So tight, in fact, that this word actually was God. Okay? So what if the word was simply God's spoken thought. That's what, our word, that's what our words are, right? I am thinking stuff right now, and my words are what tell you my thoughts. What if the word is John's, is God's self-revelation, God's communicating force? Okay, a little teaching side note here. Be careful of assuming when you read the Bible that the phrase the word always is referring to the Bible. Because it might not be. And that's important to attend to and to try to understand. John summarizes. He existed in the beginning with God. Okay, so in the beginning, there was something, someone now we're starting to understand, someone best described as the word, logos. The word was with God intimately and closely, and the word, God's self-revelation, actually was God. John continues this new creation story by hearkening again back to Genesis 1 and writing this. He says, God created everything through him. So now what we learn is that the word made the world. The word, whoever the word is, is the creative genius behind all of creation. 
And again, John drives this point home and says, and nothing was created except through him. God created everything through this word and nothing was created except through him. There is nothing that exists. Not a human, not a thing, not a creature, not any component of the universe that was not created through the word. And there's more. John writes, the word gave life to everything that was created. And the word here that John chose to use is the Greek word, the word for life, the Greek word zoe, which signifies not just existence, mere existence, which would have been the Greek word bio, from which we get the word biology, the study of life, but zoe, life, is deep, meaningful, vibrant, full, rich, good, abundant life. The word gave more than mere existence to everything but the possibility for a rich, deep, vibrant, creative kind of existence. And John says, and his life brought light to everyone. The word gave this creative, rich, full, abundant life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The life that the word gave to everything brings light to everyone. I want you to understand how radical that word everyone was. In John's day, John writes that the word's life brought light, try saying that 10 times, to everyone, not just the Jewish people. This was such a radical expansion of the circle of God's inclusion. John wanted his readers to understand, and he wants us to understand today, that this word and the life that comes from the word has a light with a reach that can't be contained. It reached, and it still reaches, everyone. And then John writes this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And what John does here in his writing is he switches from the past tense to the present. And the word shines in this particular verse is actually some kind of super double present tense. I don't understand that kind of stuff. I don't remember it from my English grammar class. But John uses some kind of super duper present tense. And he writes that the word's life light was shining and is right now still currently presently shining. It is the present tense of all the present tenses that have ever been present or tensed. Okay? Thank you, Chuck. My, my husband was the one person who laughed at that. Thank you. The, wor the word's life light still shines, friends, and no amount of darkness, even today, no amount of darkness can ever put it out. 
And I so desperately need this truth more days than not. Don't you? When we are in the place of deepest dark in our lives, some of you might be there right now, or you know someone who is in a place of deep dark, we can find profound hope in this one verse, John 1 verse 5. Because we can always rely on the double present tense of the words life light and how it currently, presently shines. There is no darkness in this world. There is no darkness in your life. There is no darkness inside your own soul. Anyone here ever amazed at their own capacity for darkness besides me? There's no darkness so deep that the light of the word who is God, who is the life that is true life, there is no darkness that the word's light won't shine over and in and around and through. There is no darkness that can distinguish that light. Thank God. Thank God. Because if you have lived any years at all, you know that there will be more times than you can imagine when you will be convinced that the darkness of your life, life is too deep. So deep that no light could ever break through. And when that happens, I want you to remember John 1, verse 5. And if you have to go home, I encourage you to go home. If you have a Bible at home, circle John 1, 5 in your Bible. Underline the word shines and put this morning's date by it. And when life goes dark, you go back and reread John 1, verse 5, and you remember that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So let's review. The word that was in the beginning was tight with God and was actually God. And the word created all things. And there's nothing that has ever been created that was not created through this word. This word gave life to all creation, a real, vibrant, shining kind of life. And this word's life is the light that is at present shining, always shining over all human beings. And there is no darkness that can ever put the word's light out. I would like to meet this word. I would like to know who this word is. John's about to tell us. I'm afraid we have to skip over John the Baptist's story right here. Sorry, John. We're going to skip to verse 14. And this is what John writes. So the word the word we've just been learning about, became human 
and he made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Mind blown. What John does here in this one verse is earth-shattering. He says that the creative, life-giving, light-shining, spoken thoughts of God, the Word, became human and made his home among us, which in the original Greek language literally read, he tabernacled with us. He tabernacled with us. That's not a phrase that we use. But John's mainly Jewish readers, when they read he tabernacled with us, they would have immediately thought of the Exodus. You know where God set the Israelites free from slavery in Egypt and he led them through the wilderness to the promised land? And during the 40 years that they were kind of stuck in the wilderness, God's glory and presence was contained in the tabernacle. This portable kind of temple they carried with them. And so John was telling his Jewish readers, just like God tabernacled with your ancestors in the wilderness, so now the word of God in the flesh tabernacles with the human race. John was implying that the one true God of Israel became human. And I hope that never stops blowing my mind. And I hope that never stops blowing yours either. One last passage. John 1 verse 18, John writes, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. The Word reveals God to us. The Word is God's self-revelation. The Word became human. The Word John is writing about is obviously Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And if we don't get this, the whole Christian faith falls apart. None of it works. John wanted the world to understand that when we meet Jesus, We are meeting the God of creation, the God of Israel, God in the flesh. This is the mystery at the center of it all. This is the engine that drives the universe. And it influences, or at least it should, it influences everything. It influences, first of all, how we view and understand God. 
right? As we open up the Gospels, like we're doing this morning, and we encourage you to do, as we open up the Gospels and study Jesus, who we claim to follow, we are seeing how God thinks, what God dreams, how God loves, how God works, who God is. If you want to know God, seek to know and understand Jesus. And for me, this truth has been life-changing. And here's just one way it has changed my life, impacted me. When I grow fearful, which happens a lot, but when I grow fearful, fearful that I'm not holy enough, not religious enough, too irreverent, Man, am I irreverent sometimes. Too broken? I look at Jesus, and I see the face, I see the heart, I see the compassion, I see the gentleness, I see the grace, I see the kindness of God, and I am saved. Knowing Jesus is God influences how I see prayer. See, when we're praying, I want us to understand this, we are praying yes to an eternal, sovereign, cosmic being, but we are also praying to a God with a face, the face of Jesus, the one who was born in a manger to a teenage mama, the one who opened his ministry by saying the most anti-religious thing ever. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. They win the spiritual lottery. Who says that? When we're praying, we're praying to the one who reached out, especially to those who were overlooked and rejected who lived to bring justice to those long denied, who bowed low to wash the feet of those who would betray and deny him, who spoke tenderly to children and women caught in adultery and to a thief dying next to him on the cross. That is the one to whom we pray. And so there's nothing we can't bring to God. The God who has a face, the face of Jesus. And so if you remember that Jesus is God, it can change your prayer life. When we remember that Jesus is God, it should influence how we treat creation. I do not understand how this topic became controversial. <laughs> and from my generation to the next one, I'm sorry. I'm afraid you're gonna to have to clean up our mess in the environment. But when we remember that the word made the world, right? Then we start to understand that when we care for the earth, the climate, the oceans, our natural resources, we are caring for that which is most dear to God, which is God's very heartbeat, because creation is God's spoken thought. Every bit of it, 
Every particle, every material thing is God's self-revelation. And this, my friends, is why followers of Christ, of all people, should be the very first ones to treat the earth and everything in it and on it with deep respect and reverence. It is the world created by the word. Bonus question for the morning related to creation. Will animals be in heaven? Okay, while I answer this question, I just want you to ponder my dog Stella, okay? One more pick, one more pick. One more pick, Timmy. Bring me up to a real, that's beautiful, one more. There, hold it right there, hold it right there. Will animals be in heaven? Duh. Of course they will. Are you even kidding me? You don't see animals storming the Capitol, do you? You don't see animals starting wars, raping and pillaging, calling people robotically to convince them they need a new car warranty and stealing their money? You don't have any dog politicians, do you? No. Will animals be in eternity? Of course they will. Jesus, the word, the very spoken thought of God created them all. Jesus didn't just create humans. And so Jesus, the word, God in human flesh is renewing it all. Jesus loves it all. All of creation is going to be renewed, friends. Aw, thanks, Tim. Couple more points. When we remember that Jesus is God, it not only influences how we see creation, but it influences how we see people. When we encounter any human being, not just those who look like us, or act like us, or are from our country, or are from our faith background, any human being in this whole wide world we are encountering someone very, very, very precious to Christ. Every human being you and I meet is one of God's spoken thoughts. Take that with you today. And last but not least, remembering that Jesus is God influences how we see the cross. If you hear nothing else I say, hear what I say right now. I've been reading a pastor and writer named Brian Zond lately, and these thoughts are influenced by him. When we look at Christ crucified, Jesus Christ hanging on a cross, we are not witnessing something that God did to an innocent man named Jesus. As if God had to enact punishment on someone, as if God had to pour his wrath out on an innocent man. When we see Jesus on the cross, it is not as if Jesus is the asbestos suit you and I have to put on to otherwise protect us from the burning anger of God that's firing toward us. No. When we see Jesus on the cross, we cannot think of that moment as if Jesus and God are separate entities. Jesus and God are never separate entities. 
Because that kind of separation, thinking the Father and the Son are separate, forces us to believe that an infinitely loving God had to torture and brutalize a sinless human being in order to purchase forgiveness for a lost human race. No. Because Jesus is God. What we are seeing when we see Christ crucified is God himself on a cross. That's why the Apostle Paul called the cross a scandal and called it foolishness. We are not seeing something God did. We are seeing who God is. We are seeing the very heartbeat of God. When we see Jesus on the cross, we are seeing the crucified God. Jesus doesn't save us from God. Jesus doesn't force God to love us against God's will. God loved us so much that God chose to be crucified in Christ. God chose to take the punishment God's own justice demanded so that we could come back home safe and sound. Because we worship, because Jesus is God, we worship the God who would rather be crucified than live without us. The God who would rather absorb into himself all the God-forsaken sin of this world than let us literally be forsaken by him. And friends, if that doesn't make you love God, I don't know what will. And if that doesn't make you want to bow your knee in worship, I don't know what will. I really don't. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the creator. Jesus is life. Jesus is the currently present, dark-defeating light. Jesus is God. Jesus is the crucified God who would do anything and who did for you and for me and for this entire broken world. Who is Jesus? Jesus is everything. He's everything. Let's pray. God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the three-in-one, this community that lies at the very center of the universe. Thank you for your written word, the scriptures, the Bible, that give us insight into the word, Jesus, Jesus the Christ, the very self-revelation of God the Father. Thank you for the Gospel of John, and thank you for the man John who wrote down in beautiful poetry 
his best human effort to try to explain to us who you are. Thank you that when we see Jesus, we are seeing the very heart of God. And now let us bow our knees in appropriate worship to you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.